Welcome to episode 40 of How About Them Huskies. I'm Connor, joined by Andrew and Matt. And today we've been off for a few weeks now. I haven't done an episode since mid-July when we had Joey California on. A lot has happened in the UConn world. We're going to do a little summer recap. The non-con, non-conference schedule just came out this past week. They went on a trip to Europe for the team. There's some commits we got, some guys we've offered, even some realignment talk at the end maybe. So a lot to cover. We're going to, we're going to hit all the bases here in the summer recap. And I think we'll go backwards because it's probably easiest. We'll start out with that non-conference schedule that came out. I mean, the home slate isn't great. There's obviously the games we already knew before the schedule came out, the neutral ones and the one at Kansas are amazing, but the home games we found out a bunch of mid-majors that aren't aren't that good. Obviously they should UConn should beat all of them, but a loss to any of those teams would be brutal. I mean, I was hoping maybe we get maybe uh maybe a decent mid-major, like a, an Iona or something like that, but not the case. What's your guys' thoughts on the schedule? Oh, I mean this is this is an absolute besides obviously the ones we already know like knew, you know, Texas, Indiana, Kansas, UNC, Gonzaga, those are tough. But then we got Manhattan, Arkansas, Pine Bluff, UNH, Northern Arizona, and then maybe one more that I'm forgetting about. Those are games that our walk on should play the whole entire second half because those are just it's unlike oh and Stonehill again. That's the other one. So it's unlike last year where we're we're not really going to have to battle in these non-con games. You know, last year the the uh, PK-85 was good. You know, we did end up winning that. But even that, we had a cakewalk of a first game. But we even battled with teams like UNCW, teams like that. But aside from those other ones, we, got, we just got some cakewalks. But I'm more excited for the games that we get to play against UNC Gonzaga because I'm ready to prove all the people that said, oh, you know, UConn just had a cakewalk to the national championship. They didn't actually play anybody. I'm ready to prove those people wrong and show them that we can beat all those, all those blue blood teams. Yeah, and as we saw last year, you do learn a lot about your team from the non-conference play. Um, obviously, UConn going undefeated in non-conference last year ran into a bit of trouble in the Big East, but. Once we got back into non-conference play, um, we were almost unstoppable. And we're unstoppable in the month of March. So I'm really excited to see how they come out, especially against the bigger teams, Gonzaga, UNC, Texas, or Louisville. Um, Even though Louisville isn't very competitive anymore, I still am excited uh, to see, you know, how they come out, how they play in that non-con. Because if you go undefeated again in non-con, you're looking at, you know, possibly another deep run in March against these guys. The Big East really has... Um, improved over the past few years. So, um, you know, you, you get into that play, you fight, you battle it out, but uh, you, you really learn a lot about yourself and your own team in, in the non-conference play. Yeah, all these cupcake games, I mean, they're against teams. I feel like because our non-con came out so late, all these other mid-major programs had their schedule set, maybe even in July. Ours came out in the last week of August, but we open up against Northern Arizona. I feel like a lot of people think that's pretty random. Why is Northern Arizona making the trip up to probably Gamble for the opening night uh, trophy ceremony? Because one of the only staff members UConn lost, Tim Russo, who was a graduate assistant, and was actually an assistant coach at NAU now. And I feel like, I mean, there's no true confirmation, but you can put two and two together. I feel like they want him to be there for that ring ceremony on the first night. And Stonehill, we played last year. That's their second year in D1. Mississippi Valley State, and I believe Arkansas Pine Bluff are in the same conference, one of the worst conferences in the sport. 
UNH, New Hampshire is just a local rival. And Manhattan is, I guess, the best team out of the six, but they're a bottom mid-tier MAC team. So nothing really great there. But we'll talk a little bit about the games we already knew about. Well, I guess one we didn't know about was in that classic at MSG. We didn't want, weren't sure who we were playing. We're taking on Indiana in the first game and in the winner or loser, Texas, Louisville. We really, really want that to be Texas. I mean, Louisville is struggling. Even a win versus Louisville would be I mean, obviously you want to beat them, but a loss to them would be crucial to the team's resume. I just got to play Texas there, even win or lose. And I think we'll continue with the, we'll continue looking at the rest of the non-con. You got UNC and the Jimmy V Classic, part of a doubleheader. That's going to be a good one. I know we, we haven't played Carolina too often, but obviously they made the national championship the year before we won. So and they got some similar pieces. They got a good transfer class there. They're going to be decent. And obviously the, I'll call it the uh, neutral site game in Seattle against Gonzaga. That's that's going to be a fun one. Obviously we destroyed them last year, but two different looking teams. It'll be cool to see. You know, I'm excited for these games because it's going to be a big test. Well, two of them in particular are going to be a big test for Klingon. It's Kansas and UNC going up against Hunter Dickinson and Armando Baycott. And I think that this is where either his stock rises or falls because, you know, people people are saying, yeah, he's going to be the 8th, ninth, 10th pick. You know, he was just a bench player last year. He was behind Sonogo. So this is the year where he's going to start every single game, knocking on wood, no injuries. But I'm, I'm excited for those games for that reason because I'm excited to see Klingon do what I know he can do against these really good centers like Baycott and Dickinson. I'm excited to honestly uh, see everybody in these matchups. Obviously, over the past few years, we haven't had too many uh, what seem to be important non-conference games at the start of the season. Uh, last year, we had a bunch of gimmies. Uh, I mean, ever since we've gotten back into the Big East, all, all the way back to the American, um, these these sort of preseason non-conference games, uh, you know, they haven't really meant all that much. So it's good. You know, we have a lot of new players coming in with Castle, Ball, um, and all the guys coming back, it's good that we kind of get these tough, you know, road or neutral site games out of the way for them to kind of build up their confidence, especially for a guy like uh, Stefan Cass, who's going to be coming in and, you know, leading the team, hopefully. Um, you want him to get some important games under his belt before we head into the conference and the uh, conference tournament. So good for them. Yeah, the Huskies, 17-game winning streak in non-conference play. I'm sure that's the has to be the highest in the country. I mean, I haven't lost since Teddy Allen dropped 37 in the tournament a couple of years ago. But I feel like the streak will at least get to 20 guaranteed, but anything can happen, obviously, at MSG versus Indiana. But I'm confident the streak can continue. Maybe, maybe not undefeated again, but the team, I didn't think they go undefeated last year and look where they were. So definitely a possibility. I think now we're going to shift over to the Euro trip. UConn went to France and Spain and I believe the first week of August or so. Uh, they were they played some not too good teams over there and they won huge every time. They won by like 60, like 50 and 30. I mean, it was good to see them in action. Obviously, you want to see how the freshmen do, how some of the players in their new roles like Klingon do. And six Huskies averaged double figures in the three three game series over there. Caravan averaged 15. He was kind of a kind of a lead scorer. Newton 15.7. Klingon 15.3. A lot of 15s. Spencer 13.3. He 
he did pretty solid from deep. Even Stefan Castle, the leading scorer, almost 17 a game. And a guy who I feel like is going to have a huge year, Samson Johnson averaged double figures over there too. So a lot of scoring going on for the Huskies, obviously. But what do you guys think from the whole Euro trip? What did you like? What did you not like? What are you excited for? Well, first of all, I just want to give a, a shout out to uh, my guy on Twitter, Big Larry, for going over to the Europe trip and giving us clips from uh, the games on Twitter so that we could basically watch the game. You know, they were on UConn Plus the next day, but, you know, I loved I loved watching Klingon hit threes and God almighty, Samson Johnson hit a three. Um, But I, I just liked in general, like the, the team bonding, you know, for this trip, I I think that's going to be good because the past couple of years, you know, with our teams, you know, we've had talented players, but I had always said that the, the chemistry was a little, little bit off and, you know, winning a national championship last year was great, but you lost your three big ones and then a couple bench players like Aline. But I just think that besides the basketball fact, you know, obviously they destroyed these, these European teams, which is great to see, but I just think this trip was great for chemistry and it's great for, for the national champions, especially with five incoming freshmen and a couple of transfers to take a trip like that. And I'm kind of curious to see here um, the lineups, obviously, that we ran in Spain, uh, how they'll translate into our regular season lineups. I have a feeling that Hurley probably ran the guys uh, that he plans on running the most throughout the season. DR ended up starting uh, in these games, which kind of – uh, threw me off a bit. Uh, I, I thought Castle would definitely be there, but I mean, as your leading scorer off the bench, that's fantastic. If he can get in and uh, start these games, that would be great. Uh, Diara obviously is a great presence, but I mean, Stewart's got to come back. Stewart's going to play as well, so we'll probably see less minutes probably from guys like Rimbaglu Singara. Stewart got a uh, slots in the lineup. Yeah, Diara started. I feel like that's a situation where you got a guy who helped you win the title last year. He's a senior. You're going to give him the start nine hours away from home as opposed to Castle. I believe Castle is going to be the starter. But yeah, like you mentioned, it's going to be interesting to see the positional battles like Ross, Ball, uh, Apostolos, Rumaglu even. I feel like he has a, a shot maybe to enter the rotation. Probably not, but he, he played decently. He had a seven offensive rebound game over there, which is very impressive. And like we mentioned, Jalen Stewart didn't even play. He had a minor injury. He, he was injured back at the open practice in late July as well. So I'm not sure if he's fully healthy or not yet, but he'll be definitely fine for the season. Looking at the numbers, this team defensively is going to be a juggernaut. This team is going to be way better defensively, personally, I think, than last year with guys like Castle, Diara, Klingon, Caravan, Ross, uh, Ball. They're all fantastic defenders in ball and uh or no castle and newton the backcourt both averaged over two steals a game in spain if they could translate that uh to big east play and non-con that would be fantastic especially you know they're stealing the ball and then you know god forbid they get in the paint you got a big seven foot two donovan cling in there waiting to swat shots away so i'm really excited to see this team defensively and how they match up with everybody else yeah this this freshman class really isn't just any freshman class. You know, it's five extremely good players. And, like, last year we had two freshmen end up being great for us. But I saw a tweet from Rothstein that said, you know, how we lost, obviously, Sonogo, Hawkins, Jackson, and 
Looks like we may have lost Andrew there. Some technical difficulties, but I'll take over. Anyway, I'll he, take over. Oh, he's back. Oh, he's back. Yeah, it keeps reloading. Whatever. Anyway, yeah, go, um, go ahead. Yeah, the tweet from Rothstein said that we really need. This was before the trip, I believe, and it said that we really need these freshmen to to step up. And from what I've seen, I mean, Castle is like three players in one. I mean, he's he's a six six Hawkins that has the athleticism of Jackson, you know, and then. Solo ball plays exactly like Jackson um, in a way. He's all over the floor. And then even Jaden Ross is just so long. And he's – I just – I can't wait for this freshman class because they're like – people always say, like, oh, yeah, these freshmen, they just want to be one and done. These guys these guys want to win. And you can tell, you know, I, I don't think that the rankings necessarily matter. These guys are all just – they're all here for a reason. And I, I can't wait to see him take the world by storm, honestly. I feel like it definitely helps that we saw these guys play in August. I feel like some of our past classes where we like thought these guys like I'm gonna throw Rashul Dickens out there as a an example. He'll take the beating. Like we thought he was the next point guard, but once he got there, he didn't play. We're like, why is he not playing? Then we realized, oh, he's not really that good. Now he's at UMass and coming off the bench. I feel like if we saw like <laughs> we saw a guy like that play on that team, like in a Euro trip, we'd see, oh, he's not playing much. Maybe he's not really part of the plan. I feel like all these freshmen are a part of the plan. Singari maybe not right away because you have Sampson backing up Klingon primarily, but obviously solo ball average eight, pretty much eight, four, and four. Jaden Ross averaged seven, hit some threes. I mean, obviously Castle is going to play. And another note on Castle, he only took seven threes the entire trip and averaged 17 points per game. So obviously he's scoring in other ways, attacking the basket. He's not really a three-point shooter. I didn't think he was much of one when we got him initially. I feel like he's more of a dynamic He's a guard, obviously, but more of a dynamic wing type of player where he can just attack the basket. But he only took seven threes the entire time. And who am I missing? Stewart's also he's gonna make he may not be in the rotation from day one. He's gonna be right on the brisk, kind of like Ross, but he's gonna be a huge factor for this team. The the way that Hurley <clears throat> I feel is kind of going with this with this team is for them to kind of gel and play like a bit of an NBA team. Um Castle, I think, is gonna be the guy that the team revolves around, no matter how good Klingon is, no matter how good Newton is, no matter how, how good anybody else is. I feel like he kind of constructed this team to kind of mold and play around Castle. Castle's lack of a three-point shot isn't necessarily an issue when you have Cam Spencer and Tristan Newton next to you, and then you have Caravan at the three or the four, and then you have Klingon shooting threes now. It's not necessarily, like, it's not going to stick out at all. Um they're going to have Castle there to, you know, score, obviously, inside the paint, you know, mid-range jump shots, the occasional three. But another big thing is going to be, in order for him, you know, to take that next step, which I think Hurley really wants, um, you got to have guys around you who can shoot. Uh, teams have done this all the time. Look at the Milwaukee Bucks uh, with Giannis Antetokounmpo. I'm not saying they're similar shooters or similar players, but the way they constructed their roster around him uh, allows him to play how he wants. Same thing. Uh, not really a good example anymore, but the Philadelphia 76ers with Ben Simmons for the first however many years of his career. Uh, he was an all-star, but he couldn't shoot the ball at all. Um, they put the necessary pieces around him, J.J. Redick, Marco Bellinelli of sorts. Um, and I think that's exactly what Cam Spencer is going to do. He's going to be a great role player for this team that I think, um, you know, is being constructed to make a deep run in March once again. I'm hoping Castle isn't quite Ben Simmons. From deep, he'll hit his fair share. He'll hit at least one a game, I feel like. But I like the comparison. And I got some numbers there. 
for the shooters around him. This, these are guys just in the starting lineup with them. Cam Spencer shot 43% from three in that Euro trip, 10 of 23. Caravan, 9 of 18, 15, 50%. And Tristan Newton shot 41%, 7 for 17. So just in the starting lineup alone, you have three guys that shot 40%. So they, they can definitely pick up the load that Castle isn't really providing from distance. And even Klingon, what did Klingon do from three? I wrote it down. Two for three from three. I mean, if that's an option, I mean, look out. And it's going to keep defenses honest because, I mean, what are they going to do, sag off Castle? He's not a terrible shooter. I mean, he's going to have to, you know, drag attention and, you know, hopefully it double teams occasionally. And, you know, you're leaving someone wide open, such as Cam Spencer, such as Alex Garaban, who could shoot it like there's, you know, the net's 20 feet wide. Uh, I mean, it's really going to help, and it's really going to spread the offense out. Yeah, my last point on this, Castle's essentially replacing Jackson in the starting lineup. They're, they're kind of similar players. Castle, obviously the better offensive player, but they're similar builds, lengthy defensive disruptors. I mean, so we don't – and Jackson wasn't the best shooter, so not saying they have to be identical, but it kind of – they look similar right now. And even at the end, Jackson developed that jump shot. And, I mean, look how that team, you know, came together, you know, honestly around Andre Jackson, one of the leaders of the team. Um, if they can, you know, help Andre Jackson out, they can definitely get that cat, uh, jump shot going on Castle too. I think now we're going to move on. We're going to move on to some commits that UConn got over the summer, along with some offers. There's a there's one very interesting looming offer I feel like we all want to hear about, but we'll talk about the commits first. UConn and Dan Hurley and the staff got two guys. Isaiah Abraham, who's like a 6'7 wing forward. He's from Paul IV in Virginia. He's a top 70, 80 guy for next year, along with Ahmad Noel, who's a six foot six one point guard, a, a typical little guard. He's from... I'm going to mispronounce this. I'm Hatep Institute in Philadelphia. He's at like a top 40 guy. He's kind of like the point guard after Castle, assuming he goes. And obviously Newton's going to be gone. So he's next up there. Yeah, those are the two guys we've got so far. We're in on a few more. We're going to talk about them after this. But I want to hear what you guys think about the two guys we have now. Ahmad Noel. I've watched his uh, his film. Noel is, in my opinion, a mix of Vital and RJ Cole. You know, he's a great, you know, Vital is a pretty good shooter, had lots of athleticism. So he plays like Vital in that way, but he's also not afraid to take contact like RJ Cole. RJ Cole is six foot one, I believe, maybe six feet. And he was never afraid to take it to the hoop. I mean, we all know that one instance where he took the charge on Gillespie and then he took it to the, uh, to the hoop to win the game against Villanova pretty much. Well, that goes the other way around, but I, I'm I'm really excited for, for Noel because I think he's Hurley's always had tough guards since he's been here. And I think Noel is just gonna add to the list. Now Abraham I'm also excited for because he's he's a mix of Caravan and Jackson, I think, all in one. And obviously he's real athletic, pretty good shooter, also not afraid to take it to the rim. But I'm I'm really, really excited for Ahmad Noel. I think now we'll move on to some of those offers that I was referring to. We'll start with the guy who's a teammate of Isaiah Abraham at Paul IV, Pat Nagongba, I believe. He's a center, 6'10", 6'11", big man. We're in his top eight right now. He's also a class of 24. The top eight is Duke, Indiana, Kansas, Kansas State, Kentucky, Michigan, good old Providence, and us. I saw he's taking a visit to Michigan, I believe, next weekend. I think I saw he's visiting Kentucky as well. It's going to be a tough guy to get. 
But I feel like we have his teammates, so obviously there's a connection there with Abraham. And but when we're losing a guy like Klingon, most likely, so there's definitely gonna be the playing time next year. I I feel like he'd be a phenomenal addition. But what do you think, Andrew? What do you think? Well, he already did visit us, I believe. I believe he visited with Abraham. I thought I saw those commitment pictures somewhere, but the teammate connection does does have an effect. You know, Ball and Ross, AU teammates, um, even not the same sport, but Victor Rosa and Donovan Klingon. By the way, I know this isn't a football podcast, but man, shout out to Victor Rosa. I mean, he was a monster against NC State last night. But anyway, um, so the teammate thing really does have an impact. Now, I'm not saying he's just going to go to UConn because Abraham goes there. But also, I feel like he could look at the fact that does he think that he could beat out the current centers that we have for a starting spot? All right, we lost him again. But that's all right. We'll move on to the next prospect. Man, this computer's going to go through a wall. Yeah, it's it's an adjustment, but Hopefully we'll have it cleaned up as the season yeah. continues. We'll go to this Connecticut kid, Tyler Betsy. I'm not too familiar with Betsy's game, but I know he's like a top 25 or so prospect in the state of Connecticut. So I feel like we're definitely in on him, but I feel like a lot of other major programs are too. I mean, what do you guys feel like? How are you feeling about Betsy? He's going to come here, I think. A local kid, Connecticut Gatorade Player of the Year. He'll, he'll definitely come here, and I think that he'll fit in pretty well because we – for some reason, love to get long wings. I mean, we had Jackson. Now we have Ross and Abraham. And Betsy is another pretty long wing. I've actually seen him play a couple of times. And he's he's a good player. So I think I think he'll end up coming here. Right? I can't wait to talk about the one that you're going to say next because I know exactly who it is. I'm going to do a bit of foreshadowing here to the one next. I'm not going to say his name yet. I'll let, I'll let you get into it. But... I just wanted to take a second to talk about Hurley and his kind of philosophy in the uh, market of high school seniors because he is putting together quite a resume here um, of, you know, great recruiting classes and great players coming in and going to the NBA. We had three guys this year all signed contracts, and that's a big deal. Um, we have top 25 ranked national players lining up at our door to come play here. And, you know, hopefully if you can get Ngangba, you can get the guy we're about to say next, definitely, you know, Isaiah Abraham. Um, you know, you're looking at a perennial championship contender, and that's a big deal uh, considering where we were just five years ago. So shout out Dan, uh, Danny Hurley. All right. I think we've kind of held this off a little too long, but, there's a guy UConn offered, maybe May or April, I don't remember which, a guy by the name of Cooper Flag, from New England, he's from Maine. I mean, he's just reclassed to the class of 2024, he was 25, so this would be a next year thing. He's only He announced he's taking three visits, I believe this month, to uh, Kansas, Duke, and UConn. So it's a good old blue blood battle, I feel like we can officially say that after we won last year, it's a blue blood battle. I have mixed feelings if we're going to get him or not. I feel like everyone's been saying since he started, probably middle school even, he's going to Duke. He's like, this this kid, he's a 6'10 guard pretty much. He can hit, hit the three. He can do, he can play make, he can do it all. 
I I just I'm I'm very confident in Dan Hurley because usually he doesn't waste his time on recruits that he's not going to get. Like usually, if you visit UConn, you're committing on that visit. I'm not saying that'll happen here, but it's definitely definitely a possibility. I mean, he usually he usually hits on his guys like he did with Ross and Ball and all of them. What do you guys think about flag? Think we'll capture the flag? This has been something that I've been thinking about for a long time. You know, it's it's going to come down. I think personally. I think he makes his commitment in May after March Madness because I think it's going to come down to what do these three teams do in the tournament. You know, UConn just won the national championship last year. Kansas won it the year before. But the deciding denominator here is that Duke without Coach K, before Coach K, Duke didn't do anything. With him, they did an astonishing amount of things. And then without him, they've done nothing so far. So it's gonna, it's really going to come down to which program is he going to fit into the best? And I can't even comment on where I think he's going to go right now because I, everybody says Duke, but I, I just don't trust that. I mean, this is this is Duke's year to make a statement if they want to. They got Phil Powski back, and the way he's been talking on social media, he they're, they're a lock to win the national championship, according to him. I believe they got Lively back too. But it's I think it's going to come down to what these teams do in the tournament uh, because I think, I think it's – it's going to be a really, really interesting. We're I'll not quite in. sure what will be interesting, but you can go <laughs> ahead, Matt. I'll, I'll jump in for a second and drop a little fun fact. Drop a little fun fact. Second 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 second. But um, back where uh, Cooper Flag currently plays at Montverde Academy, uh, you know, you kind of had a certain player come out of there. Uh, goes by the name of Emmett Hendry. So. You never know. Maybe they're in cahoots and Hendry's talking to Flag, telling him to go there. But that's very far off in my own brain. So, Andrew, you, you can keep going. For the love of God, if this happens one more time. Anyway, so I just think it's going to be a, one of those things that's just covered all over the world. And if I'm being honest, I feel bad for the kid. Like, this should be a, a private discussion that he has with his family. Like, I see in his comment sections, his poor mom had to comment on his post that these were – just visit pictures like people are like always oh, a lock and people are like ho- telling him that he hopes they hope that he sucks because he posted pictures that like I, I feel bad for the kid like as much as he's a fantastic player I would love to have him here I genuinely feel bad that he has to go through this and I just I just think the whole situation is gonna be something like we haven't seen in in years since the uh the good old I'm taking my talents to South Beach little documentary there Another quick side note, I'm looking up Flag right now, a little more stuff on him. He was born December 21st, 2006, practically 2007. That that makes us feel a little old. It's also crazy he could be here next year when he was nearly born in 2007, but I guess that's how time works. And also, one more little side note on on Flag. He's from Maine, obviously. He's, he's not playing college basketball or high school basketball, excuse me, in Maine next year. He's at Mount Verde, but his mom played at Maine, and know who else's mom played at Maine? Teammates, Mr. Klingon, Donovan Klingon. So I don't know if there's a connection there. Obviously, I mean, Cooper Flag, his mom played in New England. Donovan, his mom played in New England. Now Donovan's at UConn. Maybe Flag moved to UConn. I feel like there's a lot of little connections you can make along the way that would hint at us getting him. But it's going to be a long process, like Andrew said. I'm not I'm not sure maybe quite May, but definitely a few months until he makes that decision. It'll be it'll be interesting to see. I just hope it's not Duke. I don't if it's Kansas, it's Kansas. 
I don't think it will be, but I just don't want it to be Duke. I don't want to lose a recruit to the Blue Devils. I think you can go ahead, Matt. Yeah, I just wanted to jump in really quick. Um, I kind of wanted to point something out that over the past few years, um, this year especially, um, if you're looking to go to the NBA, Duke has produced NBA players, but I'm not sure if they've produced them at the level that Hurley has, and he produces champions. I mean, just last year, we had three guys. Their top guy, Lively, was taking two picks above us, uh, Hawkins, and then they had Derek Whitehead drafted, and then I don't think there are any other ones, to be entirely honest, but if you're looking to go to the NBA straight out of you know, college, you know, maybe one year. I feel like, you know, you're looking at Castle this year and you're kind of taking your time looking at him and seeing what happens with him. So I honestly feel like however Stefan Castle does this year, it's kind of just biggest, it's a big selling point to flag on, you know, where he decides to go. Because if he comes in and he's fantastic and he's a lock for the top 10, a lottery pick, if I'm Cooper flag, I can't turn that down, especially with Duke having the lack of lottery talent that they have had. Well, safe to say I'm not a Duke Blue Devils expert because I said Lively came back, but this is a UConn podcast, not Duke. So, but I, it's going to come down to what does he want? Does he want to win a championship? Does he just want to go right to the NBA after college? Does he want to play for a historic? I mean, all three of those programs are historic, but you know, it's it's going to come down to what he wants most. And I really hope that he wants to win a championship and chooses us or Kansas. But I, I'd have to agree with Connor. You know, if he. If he chooses Kansas, you know, they just won the national championship. I'd love to have him, but, I mean, come on. Duke hasn't done anything since Christian Leitner, for God's sakes. I would I would hate, hate. He hates Duke. We'll move on to the final point here. Some little quick point about, quick point some, about... some conference realignment. Uh, UConn's going to stay in the Big East. It's pretty much all but confirmed. I mean, the the Big 12, everyone was thinking that's going to happen. They filled up. They got Arizona, Colorado, and Utah. Apparently, their dream scenario, which I guess it makes sense geographically. And just today, I guess not really breaking news. It was earlier this morning. But the good old Atlantic Coast Conference is adding California and Stanford and SMU. So I feel like this whole realignment thing is stupid. It ruins the point of like calling it the Atlantic coast conference where like the furthest inland team is Notre Dame and Indiana. Now it's on the other coast. I mean, it's UConn's going to be fine in the big East. I kind of hope they stayed there anyways, because it's such a good basketball conference. Obviously other sports you disagree, but I, I, I like them in the big East. I feel like this opens up an opportunity for Gonzaga to come to the big East. Now that there's already a couple of West coast teams on Eastern in Eastern leagues, maybe that's wishful thinking, but Gonzaga has to get out of that conference. So maybe that's, it's like a match made in heaven. I hate the realignment talk so much. I just despise it. I mean, you've won four national championships in the big East, you know, you've dominated the conference um, for years. You know, it's like, this is such a strong basketball conference. It's just like, why would you ever think to go anywhere else? It doesn't make any sense to me. How about instead of thinking about going somewhere else, the Big East, you know, looks to bring in some better, you know, basketball schools. We haven't seen much success out of some of these schools in a long time. Um, but, you know, with some coaching changes, hopefully that changes. The bottom of the conference becomes more competitive. I mean, top five, six teams in the Big East are constantly making deep runs in March. So 
I mean, if you can fill it out a little bit, you know, and get rid of the DePauls of the world, I feel like the Big East can be one of those conferences that, you know, is looked at as a, you know, national powerhouse if it isn't already. Big East is going to be really good this year. I mean, St. John's with Patino and even Providence with English. And you got us. Even I can see Creighton being pretty good. Villanova is going to have a bounce back year. So I think the Big East is going to be pretty uh, pretty good this year. You know, they, they have no reason to leave it. I mean, it would it would just be stupid, in my opinion. You know, you lost you lost a lot of your fan bases when you went to the American, and you gained them back now that you're in the Big East, and now you're going to leave again. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. All right, I think that was just about to do it here for episode 40. I mean, UConn's in the Big East, obviously, still. I'll, I'll, I'll cap off that point. They're going to be in the Big East for a long time. The Big East is the best expense since we've been back. They could. There's eight teams, I feel like. They could legitimately go to the tournament for the first time since we've been here. Usually it's four or five. There's eight teams that can get there. I mean, this team is in a great position. I'm a little not not I don't think insulted is the word, but why is the ACC inviting SMU over UConn? What do they have to offer? I get it's Dallas. I get they have the they have a better football program a little bit, but it just doesn't make sense to me. Just one last little thing here. If you do like the hat that I'm wearing right here. Give my man Mediocre Dan on Twitter a shout. He's got his page 22 threads. He's got a this blue one and also a shirt. And then he's got a white one and a blue one with a red brim. So if you like this style with the stores on it, give my man a shout. He'll hook you up with one of these. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's definitely a cool hat. I'm going to have to get my own. I like that blue on the white. Yeah, it's it's cool. And now I think we're finally done with episode 40. A couple technical difficulties through the way, but we got it done. I'm not sure when our next episode will be. As we get closer to the season, we're going to try to develop a schedule we're going to stick to hopefully all year. But you'll definitely get at least another episode this month, maybe next week or the week after, not sure. But what if there's news to cover, we'll cover it. We This is kind of like the summer recap episode. But as stuff comes out, like when the Big E schedule comes out, I believe in the next couple of weeks, we could talk about that. But yeah, thanks for watching. Stay tuned for future episodes.